The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open the Bible up to the book of Joel, an Old Testament minor prophet uh, that we began looking to last week. I want to give you just a brief recap of our introduction uh, and overview of chapter 1 that we looked at last week. And we're going to look to chapter 2, but... Our focus isn't going to be on verses 1 through 17. Um, I want to focus on verses 12 through 27, uh, just in light of the many prayer requests that were shared. Um, And I'll give you the reasoning for that in a a few moments. But the book of Joel is one of of my favorite Old Testament books, um, especially of the prophets, but almost period out of all of the Old Testament books. The book of Joel speaks many times of the day of the Lord, and we'll talk a lot tonight about the day of the Lord and about the call to us based upon the coming day of the Lord that is impending, uh, that is imminent even now. Um, And what that is and when that will be, we'll examine all of that later. Uh, But this book began last week, chapter 1, by Joel calling everyone's attention to a natural disaster that had occurred within the, the promised land, within the land of Israel, that was unlike anything the people of God had gone through, definitely in their lifetime, even in generations prior to. A massive swarm of locusts invaded the land and ate everything up, literally taking everything green, everything of any any. Uh, nourishment off of every crop, off of every tree, stripped the land entirely bare with this swarm of locusts that in our day and age we would it'd be hard-pressed to control, much less in that day and age. And the land was in a place of great famine. Uh, people were starving, livestock, their animals were starving, and they were in a state of just being distraught, of being in great suffering. And Joel calls their attention to the reality that God had permitted this in order to draw their attention back to God, in order to awaken their dead hearts to the sinfulness of their sin. It was a call to repent. It was a call to awaken out of their sinful sleep that they had been in for so long, where they were neglecting God, where they were disobeying God, and where they were living hard-heartedly in the midst of it all. As we so often do, even in our own lives, thinking and acting like, We can do whatever we want, however we want, and we're going to live as long as we want. And we drew an application to our day and age, even in all suffering. Part of the gracious work of God in all suffering is that that suffering is God's megaphone that He uses to wake us up, uh, to help us to realize this life is not all that it ought to be. And when we realize this life is not all that it ought to be, it points us even to an examination of our own hearts, and we realize we are not what we ought to be. We need fixed, just as this broken world around us needs fixed, and it it ought to awaken us to the sinfulness of our sin, and, and then seeing our sin lead us to a gracious, merciful Savior, lead us to turn in repentance to God. And so chapter 1 is a very poetic description of this plague of locusts that have wiped out the land and a call to repentance. We're going to see in chapter 2, Joel now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes that imagery of this event that has 
just happened, all of these locusts destroying the land, and he begins on talking as if he's continuing the thought about the locusts, but we very quickly come to see he's dealing with something even more destructive than the locusts. He's actually dealing with an army that will come in and invade the land as a judgment from God. And we'll see it's actually an army that comes in that will usher in the judgment of God that will bring about the day of the Lord. And so imagery given through this event of the locust invading the land, talked about in chapter 1, is now the, the picture that's being used in chapter 2 to point to this future judgment from God that's coming upon the wicked. What's called the day of the Lord, in which God will judge the wicked, and as we'll see tonight, in which God will redeem and restore the repentant. So let's read chapter 2, beginning, let's go ahead and begin in verse 1, and instead of stopping at verse 17, I want to go all the way to 27 this evening. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. And so he's gone from something in the past, now to something that is going to occur in the future, And he says, for it is at hand. This day of the Lord was imminent upon them, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. And so destruction, again continuing that imagery of the locust as a a background picture, speaking of this invading army that, that annihilates the land, turns it into a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds so they run. With noise like chariots over mountains they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Uh, We're not going to press all of this imagery for specific meaning, but you see, and you've seen even in chapter 1, the way Joel writes is very poetic. He uses much imagery in the expressions uh, that he uses to describe the locusts coming in and destroying the land, and even this final victory of the uh, battle army of God, even Armageddon ushering in the day of the Lord. Before them, verse 6, the people writhe in pain. All faces are, are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in his formation, and they do not break the ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. The locusts picturing the swift action of the judgment that will come. The locusts picturing the fullness even of the judgment that will come. And all of that poetic language. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before His army, His camps are very great. 
For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is very, is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? This is dealing with the aspect of judgment that will come upon the wicked when God brings forth this day of the Lord. Now, in light of that proclamation, that warning of judgment, what does God speak to His people? Verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to Me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows that he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. First time it was blown was a call to a warning of judgment. This time a call to repentance. Blow this trumpet in Zion again. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber. And let the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. The nations that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Now in verse 18, another transition, what we see in 18 through 27, is the redemption that comes in this day of the Lord for those that know Him, for those who truly are His, for those who are repentant and find His mercy. Then the Lord will be zealous for His land and pity His people. The Lord will answer and say to His people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given you the former rain faithfully, and He will cause the rain to come down for you the former rain and the latter rain in the first of the month. The threshing floors shall be full of weed and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts. My great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. 
my people shall never be put to shame. Now you may be thinking as we read through that passage, what in the world am I reading in all of this imagery and all of this description of, of, of all that is to come in this day of the Lord? Um, I hope to bring a little bit of clarification to it tonight, and I hope to bring a word of encouragement um, upon all of our hearts this evening. I had originally planned to focus on the first portion, verses 1 through 11, which are a word of warning for the wicked. Uh, verses 1 through 11 deal with the, the judgment of God that are gonna be, that's going to be coming upon the wicked in this day of the Lord, and that which follows that call to repentance in, in the verses uh, 18 through 27 we find the fulfillment of the restoration of the righteous, the, the, the redemption that God brings upon the repentant in that day of the Lord that is to come. And so Joel is sounding an alarm here. Joel is giving a warning of the imminent day of the Lord that will come, and he's calling the people to repentance. Now, this is dealing with ethnic Israel. We'll talk about that, but it has great application to us as well, so let's let's think through um, the word of God this evening together. And what I really want us to see is knowing knowing that the day of the Lord is coming. We we are we are commanded and exhorted to repent, turn from our sin, and and seek His mercy, because there is a day coming where God will manifest Himself, and God will establish righteousness, and God will judge the wicked, and God will establish His reign and His rule. Um, so let's take it first looking at the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord that is coming, verses 1 through 11, and then also verses 17 through 20, 27, 28. The day of the Lord is coming. What is the day of the Lord? What do you need to think about when you think of that expression, day of the Lord? It's used a number of times in the book of Joel. It's used a, a handful of times even in the New Testament. Isaiah uses that expression often. Um, Jeremiah a time or two. The day of the Lord. When you hear that expression, what I want you to think of is the, the time frame, the era, in which God will manifest His righteous rule over all things. The day of the Lord. The day in which God is not seemingly far off and distant, even as He is in a way in the here and now, where people seem to be doing whatever they want and believing whatever they want, acting however they want, and no immediate judgments coming upon them because it's as if it's as if people can live as if God is not, as if God is not real even. And they even many profess that there is no God. I am the master of my life. I can do what I want when I want, however I want. When the day of the Lord comes, His righteous rule will be manifest. His domain and sovereign authority over all things will be evident, will be seen. The day of the Lord, as we think about it generally, can be thought of in that fashion as we think to the, the imminent day of the Lord, the day in which God will be known, because God will, it involves two things, God will judge the wicked, and God will restore the righteous. He will restore the repentant. An era of God's God manifesting His righteous rule over all things. A time of judgment upon the wicked, as we've seen in verses 1 through 11. A time of redemption for the righteous, uh, the repentant, that we see in verses 17 through 27. 18 through 27. 
there's a lot of debate over when exactly Joel is referring to, what he's referring to, and the immediate context of what he's writing. Okay, I believe Joel is writing before the fall of the northern kingdom, before the Assyrians come in to wipe out the northern kingdom and lead them back captive. He's writing before Babylon will come in a little later and take Judah and the southern kingdom, wipe out Jerusalem even, and lead it back captive. He's most definitely writing before Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes in his first coming to give his life a ransom for the sins of mankind upon Calvary. And he's definitely writing before all the end-time events are going to happen at Jesus' second coming. And what I believe will be a millennial kingdom, earthly kingdom, where Christ will rule with a rod of iron for a thousand-year period before a final judgment, before an eternal heaven and an eternal new earth, an eternal new Jerusalem. And so the question that many Bible doctrinal theological type people debate is, well, what is Joel talking about here? And I hope to convince you tonight, he's talking about all of them, but most especially when we think of the day of the Lord, the grandest and greatest fulfillment of that will come in those end time events. That that ultimately what Joel is pointing us to here is the greatest fulfillment of the day of the Lord, the, the final day of the Lord that is yet future even from us when Christ returns in that second coming and He establishes a kingdom here on earth and restores His people to the fullness of their land and we even rule and reign as the church with Him in that era and that time frame. But I don't want to get bogged down in all of that tonight. I think there's a greater fulfillment even after that in the new heaven and new earth that will be the eternal day of the Lord where there will be forever no more sin, no more pain, no more death, all the former things having passed away, where there will be a Zion from which Christ will rule over His people, Jew and Gentile, in eternity, His people. There's a fulfillment in both of those. And Paul speaks of that fulfillment of the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 2. He says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And he's talking about the return of Christ when, when Jesus will manifest His authority as the Son of God and as the right heir of the throne even of the, the kingdom of God and as He will establish His rule over this earth. There, that is happening in the second coming. There will be a time of great judgment being outpoured upon the wicked and there will be a time of, of restoration for the people of God in that second coming. He speaks of it in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4 where he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to Him, we ask you not to so soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And so he's saying we're not yet there to the fullness of the day of the Lord. There is coming a day when Jesus returns and He will manifest the righteous rule and reign of God. He will judge the wicked and He will restore the repentant. He will restore the righteous. Peter speaks of it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. A day of final reckoning. A day of the, the grand ultimate manifestation of God's authority, His rule, His reign over all things, over all people, 
everywhere. When you think of the day of the Lord, that is what your mind ought to be pointing to and the grandest ultimate fulfillment of it. But even in the here and now, we live in a mystery of the already and not yet. We know that Jesus has already come, and yet He is still yet to come. We know that Jesus has already paid a a penalty upon a cross by which we will be redeemed, by which our restoration will come, and yet we know we're not fully there yet, what we ought to be, what what the the new heaven and new earth, what heaven someday will be. We're in a, we're in a, a place where the kingdom already is, and yet the kingdom is yet to come, where the day of the Lord in one sense has already taken place to some degree, and yet it's already, it's going to happen later, at a later time. And we'll talk about this more in a week when we deal with Acts and Luke and Peter's quotation of, of Joel at the end of chapter 2 even. And so there, there is a sense in which we're partly in the day of the Lord. Jesus has come. Jesus has given his life a ransom upon Calvary to bear the penalty for our sins. Uh, there, there's even a, a manifestation of the judgment of God in that. And the day of the Lord's here, and yet the day of the Lord is not yet fully come. I think a good way to think of it is the day of the Lord has been inaugurated in His first coming, but it's not yet been consummated yet. It's not been brought to the fullness of its of its earthly of the earthly picture of it all. There's coming a day when Jesus returns, where the the rule and power of God will be seen clearly. We know it now by faith within the body of Christ, and we see it because of Calvary, and He has He has began it. He has inaugurated it. He has provided the means by which it will all be accomplished in His first coming. But that second coming has not yet happened. The day of the Lord was inaugurated at His first coming, but it will be consummated at His second. And as Joel is writing these words and thinking of this day of the Lord, realize he did not see the distinction between the first and second coming of the Lord. He saw both of these as one event, as Jesus' return, and and, and did not know there's a first and a second coming. And so we now in the in-between, again, there's the tension of the already and not yet. So Joel undoubtedly is thinking of that day, of the day of the Lord. But realize also, we may think of these little interventions of God throughout history, where God manifests His authority and He judges the wicked, and He delivers the repentant, as small pictures and types of the day of the Lord. And, and so they're... They're they're little pictures that point to the big picture that's happening in the future. All all of these little works of judgment and redemption that God works within His people for His people ultimately point to that final day of the Lord that is to come. And so I think we've talked about multiple fulfillments and what's written in the Old Testament. We've talked about even a a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. There is a sense in which Joel is likely writing about the, the coming day, the imminent day of the Lord, meaning the Assyrians are going to come in and wipe out the people of God as a judgment brought upon them to judge the wicked and to ultimately draw them unto repentance. It's not the final day of the Lord, but it is a picture of that day of the Lord that is to come. It's a a mini-fulfillment that points to the major fulfillment that's coming in the first and the second return of of Christ. All of that to get to this point. All of that to set the biblical interpretation, boring stuff for some of you, but interesting stuff for a few of you to say this point. 
Um, The point that Joel is making is there is a day in which God will establish His rule and His reign and manifest it. And the wicked will be judged. The sinner who is seemingly sinning and sinning and sinning and only dealing with minor consequences will one day stand accountable before God Almighty. And God will come in as the locusts have destroyed the land as the imagery used in 1-11. through And God will bring judgment. And in the, the final verse there, verse 11, who, who, can, who can stand in that day? Who, who can endure it? None will endure it. None in their sin and in their wickedness will endure it. They, they will fall under the judgment of God. And so there's a warning given in verses 12 through 17. A call now in light of that warning. Repent. Like realize that this world is broken and that you are sinful and that you will fall under the judgment of God because of your sin. Repent, he says. Now therefore, based on that, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart. The day of the Lord is coming. Therefore, we must repent and seek his mercy. He says, turn to me. With fasting and with weeping and with mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Not, not, not coming forward at an invitation and making a show of things just to be seen of, of people. Not getting baptized just to be seen of people, but, but rend your heart before the Lord. Like come under a conviction of your own sin. That, that the sufferings of this life and the impending judgment of God, the day of the Lord that is coming brings you to a point in your life to realize there is coming a day that I will stand accountable before a holy God. The day of the Lord is coming. Whether I die, uh, it's appointed that a man wants to die, and then stand before the Lord, and then the day of judgment, or whether that's Jesus returning even in this next moment, the day of the Lord is at hand. God is coming, and God has promised He is going to judge the wicked. And guess what? You're the wicked, and so am I if you don't know Christ as Lord and His Savior. And so the reality of the day of the Lord's coming leads to Joel bringing this, this really it's a, a begging word from God. God pleading with His people. God even pleading through His word to you and me tonight. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. Repent. Own up to your sin and, and turn to God. With fasting and weeping and mourning, rending your heart and not your garment, return to the Lord. Why? Because He's malicious and malevolent and loves to bring condemnation upon you. No, when you turn to God, you find He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. He's a God who delights in the redemption of sinners. He's a God who delights in being known by His grace and in His mercy. And so when we come to Him as unworthy sinners and we truly turn with all of our hearts to Him, He does not squash us in our misery and in our sin. He washes us. He cleanse, cleanses us. He, 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 in His grace and in His mercy and in His great kindness, relents from doing harm. He relents from the judgment that is rightly deserved upon us. Now Joel phrases it hypothetically. Who knows if he will? We, having a grander revelation of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we don't say, who knows if He will. We say, we know that He will. He gave His Son, Jesus, upon Calvary to save us. Surely, because of Him, He promises He will. For the Lord, your God, turn to Him. Consecrate a fast and call the assembly together. 
There's a call upon people of all ages. Sanctify the uh, uh, congregation. Assemble all the elders and gather the children and the, the nursing babes. It's, it's a, a call to all to repentance. All come to Him to find His grace and mercy. There's an urgency to this call. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Your marriage can wait. Get out from the wedding and cancel it to come repent before the Lord because it's more pressing and important that you repent before the Lord than it is that you carry through with one of the most important things you're going to do in your life. Enter into a marriage with with your bride and that you'll live the rest of your life with. Far more important than even that is your relationship with the Lord. Says, leave the leave the chamber, leave the dressing room, bride. Come, come, lament your sin before the Lord. Perhaps He will relent of the judgment that you deserve. Priests who minister uh, to the Lord, He says, weep, weep between the porch and the altar, and. Cry out in prayer. Spare your people. Cry out a, a prayer for their sake even. God, don't, don't give them up. Don't, don't let reproach come upon them and your judgment upon them. Why should others even make a mockery of you because of them and say, where is their God? The impending day of the Lord brings about a call from God to say, listen, judgment's coming. You must repent. You need to turn and find in in your repentance that I'm a God who has grace and mercy for you. And now where I want to go for the remainder of our time is the restoration. He, He starts with the bad. He brings the call of repentance. And then he turns to the good, to the glory, to the redemption, to the restoration that we can be encouraged by tonight, even as so many prayer requests were given for an unexpected death, for cancer and sickness and, and the locusts of this life, the things that the locusts have eaten in this life. It says in the day of the Lord that the Lord will be zealous for His land. And there is a direct application here to the ethnic people of God and what I believe will be a restoration of the land and the millennial kingdom. But there is also an application to you and I in the eternal state, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And so I don't believe it's wrong to take these promises firsthand to you and to me uh, tonight as believers even. The Lord will be zealous for His land and He will pity His people. The Lord will answer and say to His people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil. Though you're in a time of drought and famine and suffering and pain and the brokenness of this life, as you've turned to the Lord and you find His grace and His mercy, He brings a promise. There is a day of the Lord that is coming and He will judge the wicked, but He will renew and restore and redeem the repentant. He'll send new grain, new wine, new oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army, the the threats of the invading army of the north that Israel was facing. And I will drive him away into a barren, desolate land with a face uh, toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. We're not going to dive into all of that, but there's different views on what that might exactly be referring to. But you go down to verse 29. Fear not, O land, and be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. To remember even in your time of suffering,
suffering and the brokenness of the here and now. That our Lord is a God who has done marvelous things. And I believe in the way that's worded even, we're meant to reflect back that He is a Lord who in the past has done marvelous things and all, all the ways that He has been there for His people through every trial and every difficulty they face. It's been the gracious hand of God at work to lead them to a greater spiritual plane of, of living in all honesty, to bring them to a place of knowing God to a greater degree, of turning to a greater degree from their sin. Our God has done marvelous things for His people, and it's written even in a prophetic sense of the future work of God and all that He will do in that day and age to restore and renew His people. And for us, as we think through the grandest work of God, He's a God who gave His own Son for us. He's a God who died upon Calvary to to redeem us, to provide a way in which we as sinners could be forgiven and redeemed and reconciled to holy God. If He's given His Son for us, how much more will He not also give us all things? God will take care of us, even in our seasons of suffering and pain, walking through the brokenness of this life. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the divine yield their strength. This is all picture of uh, uh, pictures of the barren land becoming fruitful once again. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. Even as you grieve the sorrow of, of whatever suffering it is that you're sorrowful lamenting going through right now, you, you can rejoice in the Lord your God and be glad in Him because the day of the Lord is coming. There's a new heaven and a new earth that's awaiting us. For He has given you the former rain faithfully, and He will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And so what that's dealing with is the first rains that were needed for the seeds to begin to grow, and then they hope for the latter rain there towards the end of the harvest in order that the harvest that they reap may be well nourished and, and, and fruitful in those final days before the harvest. And, and Joel is saying, God will start the work and He'll finish the work. God will bring you through the trial of whatever you're going through. He's the God who gives the latter rain, and He's the God who will give that final rain to bring forth the harvest. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. Again, that picture of the abundance of the restoration God brings. And if you highlight and underline in your Bible, verse 25 is such a, a precious promise of God. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. No matter what your suffering is, no matter what your heart is aching for tonight, God promises one day He makes all things new. That He has bottled up every one of our tears, it says in the Psalms. That there's not a suffering we walk through that is without meaning and without purpose. And God says someday He will restore to us all the years that the swarming locusts have eaten and the crawling locusts and the consuming locusts and the chewing locusts. All, all the things that the, the consequences of sin have, have 
wreaked havoc into into the brokenness of our life and the, the even the, the gracious judgments of God that are to draw us, to convict us of sin and draw us to Him, that in all that God is doing for those who have repented in the gracious, merciful kindness of God, there is coming in the day of the Lord a restoration. A day where all our sorrow will be turned to joy. A day where we will look back and say every suffering's been worth it all. That, that all things will be made new. That, that God restores to us all that the locusts have, have taken away. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. There is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. God will work this promise for His ethnic people, Israel, in the Millennial Kingdom. And God will work this promise for you and for me, His people who have been grafted in to these promises and that eternal new heaven and new earth and that new Jerusalem. Revelation 21. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the locusts are eating right now, we, we can walk through it with faith and with strength and with joy and with gladness in the Lord because we know there is a day of the Lord that is fast approaching. There is a day where Jesus will return. And there's a great warning in it. There is judgment that will come upon the wicked. And we'll talk about that next week. But for the hurting soul that's trusting God tonight, there's a promise of restoration. And that day of the Lord will be healing. That day of the Lord will be a restoration of all that the locusts have eaten. Maybe tonight as we close in prayer, you would just turn to Him and say, God, I know that day is coming. I thank You for it. I thank You that even now in my suffering, You're with me. You're walking with me through it. There's a purpose in it. Lord, give me strength. Give me endurance. Help me live for that day. Give me peace. Give me joy. Pray that prayer and turn whatever it is you're going through, whatever suffering it is you're facing, turn that over to the Lord tonight and trust Him with it. Heavenly Father, we come to You, Lord, and we thank You for Your Word. It's a Word that throughout, from Genesis to Revelation, calls us to repentance, calls us to come to the place where we understand we're unworthy sinners before You. We're broken people. Lord, it's a, a call not to hide our sin, not to cover it up, not to run away from it, but a call to confess it, to turn to You with all of our hearts and weeping and lamenting and mourning and find that You are a God who is gracious and merciful. You're a God who takes us when we come with a broken and a contrite heart. And God who cleanses us and heals us and washes us and someday will eternally restore us and renew us. Lord, You are a gracious, merciful God. I pray if there be anyone in here who's never turned to You and believed upon Christ as Lord and Savior, called out to You to save them because of what Jesus did, that even now they would turn, confess their sin, rend their heart before You and find Your mercy. Lord, for all who have, as we live a life still in the midst of brokenness in a broken world, all the consequences of sin, Lord, help us to know someday You will restore all that the locusts have eaten. Someday all things will be made new. Someday it will all be worth it all. Give us faith. Give us an increase of faith. Give us a peace that passes all understanding. Give a, 
an encouragement tonight where it's needed. Give, give uh, a strength to keep on keeping on. Lord, I, I ask all of this ultimately for Jesus' name that He may receive the glory due to His name we pray. Amen.